are continuing our worship series today of being the church. And each week in this series, we have been considering a word um, that is descriptive about who we are as people in the church and what our call is. And our word today is one that is not used very much, especially in our culture, and that word is lament. And so we will be considering what it means um, for a people of God uh, to hold a space of lament, um, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. So accordingly, we are going to hear a lament from Scripture, and we are in the book of Jeremiah, and we're going to begin reading in chapter 8 at verse 18. Listen for the word of God. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. Oh, that I had a place in the, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers, a band of traitors. They bend their tongues like bows. They have grown strong in the land for falsehood and not for truth. For they proceed from evil to evil. And they do not know me, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. For the big people in the room, I am sure that you remember where you were 15 years ago today. Do you remember? As we recall that for just a moment... I remember that I was doing hospital visits that day. I was getting ready to leave the house, listening to the news, and trying to figure out what it all meant. And as I went from hospital to hospital, I had several hospitals I needed to visit that day. I would be walking down the hall, and on either side from patients' rooms would be the televisions, all turned to news stations. And I would walk into a church member's room and sit down 
and we would sit there and watch together. And then, for those who aren't 15 years old yet, y'all probably don't remember what happened unless somebody has shared with you what happened 15 years ago. But what I can know is that those who are younger than 15 have inherited the increased anxiety and desire for security that came about after 9-11. It is the air we breathe. It's in the water we drink. Sometimes our anxiety is so high we can practically chew it, you think? And our children have inherited this. Recall, if you will, the days and the few weeks, and there were just a few weeks, after the attacks on 9-11, the sense of unity, the sense of oneness, the letters that were pouring in to our president from not just leaders of other nations, but just people writing to let us know that they were in it with us and that we were not alone and that they felt sad, that they shared our sadness. In October of that year, I went with a small group of people to Europe on a Holocaust study tour. And so we spent eight days in Poland and five days in the Czech Republic and then the last few days in Germany. And our first day in Poland, we were in Warsaw. And we were on the bus going to a point of interest on our trip and we passed the American embassy and the mountain of flowers and notes that were stuck in the fence. It was amazing. And people coming up to us, learning that we were from the United States and saying, we are so sorry. But that didn't last long, did it? We moved from that sense of sadness and also oneness and solidarity. We moved very quickly to a state of heightened anxiety and closing our ranks and circling the wagons so that we could become secure again. There was a desire to move to where we were before and to recover what had been lost. We did not give ourselves time to lament. Scripture is full of laments. There are the psalms of lament. Psalms that would have been prayed in the worshiping community in ancient Israel with lament being a part of the worshiping experience. 
And we just heard these words from the prophet Jeremiah, these words of lament over the situation that was in Judah at the time. With Jerusalem being besieged by the Babylonians and the prophet knowing that things were going to get worse. And when I was in seminary, I took a Hebrew exegesis course, and the book that we studied for that entire course was the book of Jeremiah. And we spent time translating passages and then considering what was coming out of the text in terms of meaning. And I remember when we translated this particular text that we heard, it seemed confusing and jumbled. It's like, who's talking here? Whose voice is this? And perhaps you experienced some of that yourself as you heard the text. And something that is so arresting and I think is kind of difficult for some of us is how the voice of God sounds in this text. Because it becomes mishmashed in with the voice of the people and the voice of the prophet. And we hear God lamenting over the state of God's people. To lament, I believe, is not just to sit in our heap of ashes and cry. It can be that. It can include that. But to lament is to inhabit a space in which things that were normal for us before are no longer so. It's a space in which we feel very fragile, but also perhaps a little more open to what might come next. There is a really good graphic that I think explains this. And it comes from Dr. Leanne Hadley. And it is this graphic. Pastor Caroline has been participating in uh, a pilot program with Dr. Hadley called A Time for Children. You have heard her talk about that. She's doing some talks on it on Wednesday evenings for the next two weeks here at Wednesday Windows. And it is about children's spirituality and God-centered transformation for children. But my friends, it is for our children, but it is also for us. So if you notice the shape of the graphic, On the left side, that's how things were before. That's us is happy, 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 which is where our advertising wants us to be, right? It's where our culture wants us to be. Happy, happy, happy all the time. And then we suffer a loss or we suffer grief or something that shakes our lives. And we find that we enter a space that's the bottom of a bell curve And in this space, we feel everything that that sadness demands of us. We enter a space of lament. And you'll see that there's a heart in this graphic. And Dr. Hadley says that it is when we are in this space that we enter into the heart of God. Because God is with us in that space. 
and we come out on the other side and we are not the same. We don't go back to happy, happy, happy as it was before. Perhaps it's a different kind of happiness, which is tempered perhaps with some melancholy. But we find ourselves transformed from where we were before. And the difficulty, my friends, is that our culture doesn't want us to go there. Think of all the diversions. Think of all the distractions that are in place that keep us from going there. But Dr. Hadley's premise is that our children need tools to handle all of the things that are occurring in their lives because our children are hurting whether it's losing a pet, losing a parent, hearing of some traumatic event in our culture. Our children need tools to handle this. And my friends, I have a question. How can we help our children do this if we don't do it ourselves? As Christians, we are, I believe, uniquely gifted, and blessed with this model in our faith. It is the bedrock story of our faith. And it is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is what we bank our faith on. And Jesus went before us, lived an amazing life, was crucified, remained in the tomb, and God didn't let him stay there. God was with him, but did not let him stay there, and the resurrected Christ was different. Still Christ, but transformed. And that is the model that we are called to live. For my friends, if we allow ourselves to enter that space of lament, whether it is for grief over what happened 15 years ago on 9-11, whether it is for our own losses and our own grief, or whether it is wishing for how the church used to be and is no longer, but we enter that space And God is with us. And in so doing, we enter the sacred heart of God. And if we let ourselves dwell there, we come out on the other side transformed in a different people. This, my friends, is what we are uniquely called to do as people of the church in a culture that doesn't want it is to create space by which we can lament and hold our sadnesses and that of others so that transformation can occur. Pastor Caroline had a basket of stones that she offered our children, and I hope that you all were able to get one out of the basket when you came in. And they have different symbols on them, as she described. And these symbols can mean different things. 
I have a rock in my hand that has a symbol of what looks to me like a teardrop. Could be a raindrop for somebody else. But there is a very strong Jewish tradition of using stones to memorialize and to grieve and to remember. When we were in um, Europe 15 years ago, we went to the site of Treblinka. And, of course, the, that death camp is no longer standing, but there is a memorial there on the site of Treblinka where so many lost their lives. And there are these standing stones. You go all the way back into the book of Genesis and you read the stories of Jacob. And Jacob using stones to memorialize encounters with the holy in very tender places. And it is a Jewish practice to take a stone and to place it in memory of someone or in recognizing a loss. And so we have the opportunity to do the same this morning. We are going to enter into a time of prayer, into a time of remembrance, into a time of lament. And you are invited to come forward and to offer your stone here on the altar. You will see the stones from the early service here. You may spend time in the rail in prayer. But this is our time to do this holy, priestly duty of offering lament, not just for us, but on behalf of the world. Let us enter into a time of prayer.